You look marvelous, I might say. It's uh, good to see all of you here. By the way, just so you know, uh, 46 years ago today, uh, this lovely lady and I were wed together. And uh, so, yeah, it's our anniversary. And uh, after the service, you can go ahead and come up to me and say, boy, you chose well. And you can say, wow, you made it that long with him. So you can say that to her. So uh, that would probably be about the most uh, fitting way of saying it. But anyway, I can't think of a better place I'd like to be than in worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Christ on this, uh, this day as well. So we thank the Lord for that. Um, we're going to talk today about bringing our goals a little bit closer. And that's something that's hard for us uh, to do. I know it's human nature. It's something that... Uh, that I've had a, a difficult time with in my life because I was raised in the same culture you were where uh, the goal speak stuff is always out there. It's always out there. In fact, when you're a little tiny tyke, you have people come up to you and if you're from the same area that I'm from and this happens in other places around the world and, uh, and they bend over and they look at you and say, and what would you like to be when you grow up? It's uh, not about what they really want to be or should be or would be en enjoy doing right now, but, uh, but it's when you grow up. And we kind of carry that with us, and we think out there away. And I know for me, I was already trying to think of stuff that I would want to do occupationally or the kind of person that I would like to marry. Uh, by the way, like I, I told you, I married up. Uh, I was sharing in a, the last church I pastored in Timberview, uh, and it was a little bigger congregation than this, and there's several hundred people there, but, but I remember one time I was saying something about, you know, when you, you want to be the kind of person who's following Christ so closely that other people see you, and they want to follow Christ because they, they, they see what you have. You follow? And so I said, it's the same way in life. I always tell college people, you want to marry up, don't you? They, they write down the list of things that they want in a spouse, and they don't say, I'd like somebody that I can control and dominate. And stuff. It's like I want to marry somebody that's beautiful or handsome, and I want to, you know, has all these ambitions, stuff like that. So I said, we always want to marry up. Well, be that disciple who, who is, uh, is up so other people can follow. When I used that line, I said to the congregation, I said, for instance, take me. I married up, and... Ange Taylor, remember Ange? Sat right in the back of the church and said, way up. And I thought, wait a minute here. You didn't have to say that. So, but I did. I married way up. So um, this whole thing is, you know, you, you have these goals and these aspirations. And I knew who I wanted to marry. And, and fortunately, I married somebody who's all that and a bit more. And then, um, and then uh, I had, a, you know, career ideas. And those all fell flat. The Lord had uh, something else in mind. And I'm not in medicine, thank God, for the people that I would be operating on right now. And because uh, I'm, I'm a little bit better doing what I do than, than that. But we, th we think about down the road. We th uh, it's most people, by the time they hit 40, 45, 50, they at least start giving some attention to retirement. So you start planning out 20, 30, 40 years, uh, whatever it is, and hopefully you're able to do that. So we set our goals. The idea of goals is usually a distant thing. And I could give you, I've got about seven or eight examples to give, but you kind of get the idea. I mean, some people even start thinking about, you know, the kinds of things that they would like to do, the bucket list, you know, before uh, we, we go on and, and pass from here. And so we kind of have those things and they're strung out here. The interesting thing is, is that's not really a, uh, a strongly biblical concept, the way that we function. In fact, that actually, that kind of mindset ends up distracting us, distracting us, excuse me, 
um, from being focused on the way that Jesus would want us to be focused. In fact, everybody that tries to find goal speak in the Bible and make it look way down the road, they're hard-pressed. You have to really find the right version and the right words, put in the right way to be able to get that. The only place where it really talks about is, is we strive toward a goal uh, that Christ is leading us on heavenward, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, but that's not anything we can achieve in this lifetime. That's a, that's a real far goal. That's uh, beyond our ability to do something and achieve. It's by what Christ already did. All the other goal terms, and, and, and by the way, the Proverbs passage that talks about without vision, you know, which kind of goal-oriented type of thing, the people perish, that's a bad translation of that if you have that version. It's really without revelation or a full understanding, the people run wild. That's probably the best way to see that. It's not about vision like we're thinking goal-wise. It's like vision, what this is, your ability to see and understand what's coming. Uh, it says without that, you have no, no path to be able to follow, etc. Are you with me so far? Okay. In the New Testament, it's even more clear. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, so we make it our goal to please the Lord. Can you do that? Can you map that out 10 years from now if you don't do it now? No, it's just procrastination. It's disobedience if we're not pleasing the Lord right now. I've always said delayed obedience isn't just another word for disobedience. If God tells us we're supposed to do something and we say, and we play the as soon as game. It's, well, as soon as I, older, as soon as I, you know, you know some people that played that game with Jesus when he said, come follow me? Well, I just, I got married. I, I got to, I just bought some oxen. I did some stuff. And what did Jesus say? Did he treat that well? No, 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 no. He said, uh, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, etc. But son of, son of man has no place to lay his head. So he's thinking about right now and this time, and he was talking to the people about following him. So in the New Testament, especially with Jesus, I mean, think of all the stories that Jesus tells when people are thinking too far down the road. Jesus kind of directs them. There's a parable called the parable of the rich fool. What's the problem with the rich fool? The rich fool is planning for way down there. And what's his name? We don't know his name. All we know, he's full. Because he's mapping things way out there. Jesus tells several parables where he talks about, you know, a son that, you know, which, which one of these sons that is going to do something? One promises that he's going to do something, but he doesn't do it. And the other one is reluctant, but he ends up doing it. It's the person who does the will. Not, you're not, I'll do this, Dad, you know, when I get back from this trip, when I do this other thing. Jesus goes on and on. Probably one of the most favorite passages that uh, many people have is in, in Matthew chapter 6 where he talks about, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. What are the things that he was talking about? Don't worry about what you're going to eat and how you're going to be clothed. The Lord knows that you need all of those things. He takes care of the lilies of the field, the, the flowers of the field, and the, the birds of the air. And it, and it even tell, Jesus even says in that passage, to, each day has enough trouble for its own, of its own. It's today to seek the Lord. I can give you about 12 different examples where Jesus is telling people to look at what is happening. The good example, uh, the best example is not an ex example through a parable at all or even a story of Jesus, but when he came to the, the highest commandment, the greatest commandment is to what? Love the... Lord your God with all your <laughs> with all your and strength. That's kind of what I heard up here. Okay. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, can you plan to do that 10 years from now? Is that really what Jesus is saying? And when he goes on with the second commandments like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Is he mapping that out way down the road? No. We only have the capacity to love as we possess the love, and you can only do it, in a sense, in the present. I mean, your love that, that God fills you with today sustains you for today, but it's not something to be banked. You know, I'm going to be cruel for the next five years, and then, boy, I'm going to store it up. I'm going to bank love, and I'm going to be really loving then. Is that the way it works? No, no. You start exercising, and the Lord just continues to build it in you. And the goal, the highest goal, the highest aim, the highest command is right here, right in front of us. Now, the reason I'm preaching this to you is because I really needed to preach this to me for many years. Because I kept thinking of all the great ideas that I had and the wonderful things I was going to do. And, and I was going to take the world by storm. And I had vision and plans for ministry. And I was, you know, and I was sitting in an office one day and I had all these great things mapped out for the future of the ministry that the Lord was going to give us. And I distinctly heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to me and said, Stop it. What are you doing today for me? Just be obedient to what I call you to today. I'll take care of that. And I wanted to win a lot of people to Jesus, and I wanted to see people that were hurting in our church healed and people that needed counseling and all that. So I had all these... I had a pert chart. I had it mapped out. I had it figured out how we were going to do that. I just put all that stuff away. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, today, each day, I want you to impact two people seriously for me. A person who's a believer that needs healing or help and a person who's not a believer to come and find me. Just two people a day. So I started doing that. And you know what happened? Revival hit the church. We put the plans away. For growth and we had because we hadn't been growing and guess what happened the church started growing people were being touched by the Lord and I started telling our leadership the same kind of thing by the way your leadership your board um, somebody said in the board meeting just that, in fact that person's in here says you know uh, we can't expect people in the congregation to do something we're not doing so we need to do it now we need to make contact with people and all that kind of thing so if you get a phone call it's not my fault yeah. <laughs> Actually, it is. I encourage it. I said an amen. So I remember what happened is I just said, okay, I'm going to do that. So I, I, would, I would, no matter how, if it was my study day or whatever it was, I thought every day two people need to come to mind in my prayer that I need to reach out for and help. And, and I remember one day um, I'd kind of got lost in the day doing stuff. You know how it is. And um, I was doing all uh, planning for things and getting ready for maybe a board meeting and, and some kind of group meeting or a Bible study. Maybe I was planning my sermon for Sunday or something like that. And Marlene called and said, you know, dinner's going to be ready early tonight because we had an evening thing. So she said, can you be home by 5? And I thought, uh, sure. And so and I looked at my watch and I thought, it was about 4 o'clock. And I thought, well, I can push off this stuff till tomorrow. I can, I can help people tomorrow. And the Lord went, no. So I'd been praying for one specific person that needed um, some counsel. And I called them up on the phone. And I said, can we 
talk on the phone? Absolutely. I said, do you have a few moments? Yeah. And we walked through a journey that was a very difficult journey. And ended the phone call. We had prayed together. And the person said, this is extremely helpful. Thank you. And I got looking at everybody else. And I thought, nah, I don't want to. You know, who needs Jesus? You know, that was one of the two categories. But who needs Jesus? And I thought, oh, there's somebody who's a reprobate that came to church once simply because their spouse made them come, but they really don't want anything to do with God. So I thought, I'll call him. He's a good one. So I called him, and I said, uh, talk to him on the phone for a minute or two. He says, yeah, what are you doing? And, you know, he probably let out an expletive or two, but I said, uh, you know, I told him what I just told you. I said, I used to map out all these things, and, and God said, no, I'll lay on your heart people that you need to talk to today. And I said, Tag, you're it. Marlene says, I need to be home by 5 o'clock. And I says, it's about 4.30, so, and it's a, you know, five-minute drive, so um, you need Jesus. And the guy just said, you have no idea. And we walked through, and that person gave his life to the Lord and transformed life, became an active part of the church. Was it because I, I had abandoned goals? No, I just put them in right focus. Um, God is more interested in your obedience today than your plans about tomorrow. Let me say that again. God is more interested in our obedience today than our plans about tomorrow. So, it's a, when I walk through the scriptures and I see time and time again People were kind of surprised that they were applauded by the Lord because one group of people, they were called, uh, you know, <laughs> they were uh, called blessed of the Father and they got to inherit the, th the kingdom that had been prepared for them. And uh, who were they? They were a division of sheep and goats in this story that Jesus tells. And you know what, what the good ones did, didn't you? They didn't have a plan in the batch. Not long term. He said, he tells them, he said, because... When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. As much as you've done this. Can you map all those things out? No, those are done out of the heart that has a response to the Lord. Jesus spends an entire chapter talking about this, about it's what you do right now. It's not the people that are mapping it out. The entire chapter is in the um, well, you got it really in two different Gospels, but in Luke's Gospel, there are three stories about lost things. There's a lost coin, a lost uh, sheep, and a, and a lost son, a prodigal son. And in every case, there's, there's an abandonment of what the plan is to go and find that, which is of extreme value right now. Are you with me? Jesus is reining the goals in. Was he saying be responsible with the 99 sheep? No, he wasn't saying that. He said, does he, does he say about the, the woman that lost the coin that, you know, you have enough, be grateful for what you have? No, he's not saying that. He realizes this thing of, of value to her. It, is he saying, you know, uh, Dad, don't get too excited about this because this kid was really disobedient when you welcome him back. Keep it all in perspective. You know, what's the other son going to think? No, 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 no. There was great celebration and there was a sense of urgency and immediacy in every one of those stories. Jesus lived that way. He would be walking along, and he had a place to go, but somebody touched the hem of his garment, and he stops, and he says, who touched me? 
There was a time when, when people that, uh, by the way, healer, there was a guy named Bartimaeus. He was blind. Jesus is going for, on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and, and uh, Bartimaeus is yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, Jesus stops. And people are thinking, we have places to go. If Jesus didn't have some place to go, he had to right there. And he headed over. There was a time when children were pressing in. And what did the disciples try to do? It's not on the goal. It's not on our journey. Let's get these kids out of there. And he said, suffer the little kids to come to me and don't forbid them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you see the pattern over and over again? Jesus was interruptible. Who are we to think that we're not? So there's a story that kind of probably tells this because I know you'd like me not to just quote scripture, but you'd like to actually see it with me. So uh, let's go ahead and flash up on the screen. This is a, a story. Many of you already know what it is. It's the because you, you see it and you're familiar with that. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, just so how many know this story already? Okay, so you can then check your email or something if you want. But uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up. Oh, please don't. I was just joking. Okay. <laughs> Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He includes uh, three elements in there. One of the other Gospels includes four. Uh, You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And here the guy wants to justify himself. He doesn't want to get into a debate or a description of what love is, and so he's going to just say, and who's my neighbor? Which, by the way, Jesus forever in this story changed the definition of a neighbor. We'll talk about that in a few moments. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this guy's gone through some significant trauma. trauma. Three people passed by. A priest is the first one. Happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Very brief description. This is a religious cleric, so to speak. Uh, So too a Levite, when he came to the place, and he had... Uh, Levites had specific duties uh, dealing with the temple as well. At a place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So same kind of thing. See him, other side of the road. And Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So what did he do? He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Um, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So in this particular text, um, Jesus redefines neighbor. Because in Greek, neighbor means kind of what it does in English. And for centuries, you always refer to the neighbor as the person that's right next to you. Kapit bahai, right? It's the person who's just next door, that live right next to you. They're the person who you share, uh, share parameters with. It's in the Greek. It's actually in the Hebrew as well. Jesus shifted it where presumably the person that was injured, it doesn't say, but was probably a person who was Jewish. He would have been as close as neighborly to the person who uh, was next 
to him, and yet it was the person who was farthest away. Jesus then said, who is the neighbor? The man knew where Jesus was going and said, the Samaritan, and he said, yeah, go and do likewise. Jesus changed the definition of neighbor to not the person who's closest to me, but the person who needs me most. That's your neighbor. So here's the deal. All three of these people had goals. The priest was going somewhere, right? Can we be agreed? The Levite had something to do. In fact, they might have been religious exercises, and this would have been a distraction for them to be pulled aside uh, from what they were doing. Now, judging from what we learn, the Samaritan is a business person. He, he probably had somewhere of significance to go. They're all on a road in the area where they're going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. They're in a place where there's nothing. Trust me, there's nothing there. And so none of them are just hanging out. They're all moving in a specific direction. And... Uh, and yet, the one guy made his long-term goal subordinate to the short-term one, the one that started the whole thing, was it says, when the man had pity on him. And by the way, the fellow who's asking the question, he said, who is, who is my neighbor? Who is the neighbor here? He says, the one who had mercy on him. He uses a different term, but it's the same idea. The mercy that was in the person's heart demanded that the thing that we perceive as most important be subordinated to that which is most important. That we don't walk by that which is most critical for us to see with the eyes of Jesus. This has happened to me several times. Probably one illustration is painful for me to acknowledge, but uh, we were, some of you know, we were missionaries in the Philippines for just a short season. We were only there three years, and in order to um, learn the language relatively quickly, I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert in patience, so I just thought, come on, I got to get this in two months, three months, four months, and uh, we planted a church in an area. The reason we went to that particular area is I was going to language school, so I was learning Malalim uh, Tagalog. I was learning uh, accurate, deep appropriate Tagalog there, but then I was learning a thing called Salitan Canto, uh, street language, just talking with people, just the common folks. We got a few Filipinos here, so entertain me if you would. So, um, so I, was, I, I figured, well, I'll learn that part and this part. Well, how am I going to learn that part? Well, I went, we went and planted a church in an area where very few people were educated and very few people spoke English. In fact, we only knew of three people in a whole area. It was a squatter's area. Uh, outside of Manila where everybody would just kind of make their own little shanties uh, and, and they live on kind of uh, government land or, or property borrowed like that. So we planted a church in this area. And, uh, and I was pretty new in the language, so I, you know, I, I got everything wrong. By the way, the church there started growing real rapidly. We had a lot of people coming to church. I was using some of our Bible college students to help me. And uh, one, of the, one of the elderly men came up to me. He says, you know why our church is growing? And I said, why is that? And he said, because you absolutely destroy our language when you speak. But he says, so it's entertaining. We come for entertainment. And uh, I thought, well, there, there went the idea that I'm a good preacher. It just has more to do with the fact that I'm entertaining. So I was trying to prepare my message. Obviously, I had to preach and... Tagalog, so I was preparing it as I was coming to the 
to the village. See, my goal that day was to preach. There was going to be a whole bunch of people in the community who were coming. We were doing a special event. So it was a special day. And the children came out from where I would park my vehicle or get off of the bus or whatever, and I would walk into this squatter's area. And most, most people didn't go beyond this wall because it was a very poor area, and smelly and stinky and all that. And, but this one day, all these children came together to, you know, they were grabbing my hands. Everybody's friendly, you know, and they're, you know, they're asking me to come. And, and, uh, and everybody's a little excited. They're telling me all these things about how excited they are that what we're going to do. And so, now, just so you know, I was preparing a message on love, the command to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor is yourself. And I'm trying to memorize the words in Tagalog. So I have my Mabuting Balita. I got my, my, my Bible, my uh, Tagalog Bible, and I'm, I'm reading this stuff. So this is such a poor area that when someone was really ill or when they had, would die, if there was not a person in the family who could bury them appropriately, they, they would literally put them close to this wall. And there was a place where people... Um, from the city in this metro area would actually collect the bodies and they would dispose of them properly. They would, they would bury them properly, etc. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to walk by people that were dying or very sick by this gate. In fact, a lot of people didn't, a lot of Filipinos didn't go to the area where I was at because it was kind of a little bit of a dangerous area too. So I remember as I'm reading, I want you to follow me. Are you with me? so far. So I had literally walked around people that were dead there. But at this time, I'm reading about the love of God, and I just had the peripheral vision that there was somebody there, and I, I thought it was a dead person. I stepped over, and I kept going. I'm following the children. I got about 25 steps, and I broke down. I got about 10 steps past the person. And I heard something coming out of their mouth. I realized that person's still alive. How can I do this if I can't do that? So I turned around. I told the children to go on and tell them it's going to be a little while. And they thought it was a little odd. But then I gave one of the kids a little bit of money, told them to go to this little sorry, sorry store, a little convenience store, and bring back some water. And this man had flies on his lips. He was moving his lips just a little bit, and I wet his lips. And I sat there, and I prayed for him. I talked to him. And it was about an hour, and then he slipped away. God forbid that we would pass that which is most important to go to that which we think is of greatest importance. And Jesus just told a story like that. I mean, that's, there's not too much dissimilarity to my experience and the experience of the priest and the Levite. So I could tell you all the reasons why this is of value. If we want to, I'm not, I'm not telling you dash all your long-term goals. Trust me, Marley and I started planning for retirement a long time ago, and I've mapped out several things I want to do, and I have goals and aspirations for the church. But those have always been subordinated because I can give you dozens of examples where Jesus basically did the same thing. 
He had to tell the disciples, don't worry about tomorrow. I want you to seek first. You know, there's, there are two words, epiusion and semeron are two Greek words that are used in the, in the Lord's Prayer. He could have said, he's talking about this marvelous kingdom that is coming and, and that the will of God would be done on earth. And this, he's talking about this macro thing that's going on. But first time he mentions time there, you know what he says? He says, give us this day. That's epiusion, today, right now. Give us today. And then he uses a term that just fits in a 24-hour period, our daily bread. Samaron is the term for what's limited to just a day. So Jesus says, in, in two words, Jesus is saying, no, give us right now, don't focus on food down the road, give us right now what we need every 24 hours. And we're going to pray the same thing, it's presumed it's gonna, we're going to pray the same thing tomorrow. So let's have our plans. But I think sometimes we walk by opportunities Sometimes it's just unwittingly. Sometimes it's, you know, something else. We, uh, I'm going to just tell this last story, and I'll kind of give the, the idea. So I was um, pastoring a church um, out in the Spokane Valley here, and then we went to the Philippines. I told you all that. And then we came back. We planted a church up on the north side. And so we were gone. I was, I, I, I'd been gone probably, and I think we were about two years into this church plant here. So three plus two, hmm, I'm guessing from five years since I'd pastored out in the Spokane Valley. So I hadn't really thought that much about, I hadn't gone and visited the church necessarily or anything like that because we were starting a new church, which by the way, this church supplied a couple, we had five families to start the church with. Two of them came from this church and three from another, another church. And, uh, and so you, you contributed to a church plant. We're grateful for that. But um, I used to do a, a prayer day every month where I'd just go away to pray. And this particular wet day, I went out to Bowling Pitcher. You know where that is, right? And we're living way up on the north side up here. We planted the church up in Mead. And, and uh, um, so I was at Bowling Pitcher, and I just had my Bible in my lap. And I always would take, since I did this full day just of prayer and spending time in the Word, usually outside unless it was um, really cold, and then I'd find a place inside, indoors where I could do it. But um, I wanted no distractions, so um, I went out there and I sat there, and I would always make a list of people to pray for through the course of the, of the day. And this particular day, um, I went to pick up my list. You know those big yellow full scaff tablets? I had one of those, and I had three pages. I was going to do some serious praying. I've been mapping it out for a month. So I had my list, and I was going to grab my Bible, and I, I just sensed the Lord saying, leave your list, bring the paper. I went, what? I've been planning. See, this is part of my plan, just to kind of map out this whole thing. I'll forget all that stuff. The Lord said, bring a pen, bring your paper, and leave the list. So I tore off the three sheets. I thought, okay, God, you're really messing up these people, <laughs> you know. I'll do it. So I went out and I sat down there, and I don't know why I said this, uh, probably just because it rang true in my mind. Remember when little 
Samuel had been talked to by the Lord, but he thought he was being called by Eli, and three times he runs and says, huh? And he says, no, you go back, and this third time, he says, I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So I said, I'm going to do that. So I said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I sat there with my pen, had my Bible, and the Lord started putting things on my heart and my mind and stuff that I needed to do and things I, people I needed to talk to and people I hadn't been in contact for a long time and it was, it was high time or, and a relationship that may have experienced some wounding that somebody that's close to me, it wasn't with me, but somebody else might need to repair. I started praying for people. Well, about the fourth person down the list was somebody that had gone to the church that I pastored in Opportunity in Spokane Valley years before. I don't know why the Lord put them on my heart, but I wrote down their name. They were about the third or fourth one on my list, and I was praying for people. So um, at that time, Marlene had asked if I would go out to a, a place where we would get uh, meat uh, out in the valley, so I was going way out toward Appleway on that, and I was driving on Sprague. I can only tell this illustration here and use the names of the streets, because you guys all know where this is. If I tell this story in China, it doesn't help, okay? So I was driving out, and as I was driving out, I got to the corner of, I don't remember if it's Evergreen, it's one of those, uh, one of the lights out there in the valley on Sprague, and I turned the corner, and there is a, I think it was an Exxon station, and there was a fast food restaurant right there. I turned the corner, but that's not where I was supposed to turn. I was supposed to go another couple miles, and I thought, what on earth? And I looked at my tank, my tank's full, I don't need gas. Why did I just turn? And I was sitting there, and I looked down on this paper, and I saw the third or fourth name down, these people that the Lord had laid on my heart. And uh, um, I thought, they used to live on a cul-de-sac just off of 4th Street, just a few blocks from where I'm at. And I thought, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder what they're doing. So uh, maybe I'm supposed to go there. So I, I drove down the street, drove down their little cul-de-sac, and I took my business card out, wrote on the back, praying for you today, and I went up to put it in, you know, that little rubber thing in the door because I knew they wouldn't be home because it wasn't time yet. It was still 3.30 or 4, and they were professional people, and they'd be gone. And, but then, you know, you never know. You ring the doorbell. So I put the card in there. I rang the doorbell. I got halfway back to my car. And all of a sudden, I hear the door open, and I turn around. And uh, they still live there. And the woman was home that day. She had all of her mascara running down her face. She ran out. She threw her arms around me, and she hugged me. She said, I knew you'd come. And I said, what are you talking about? She grabbed me by the hand, led me back in the house. She was writing out a suicide note. She had a revolver there. She got halfway through her note. And she said, God, if there's any hope, please send somebody. She said the doorbell rang. I'm convinced if I would have done my list, somebody would be dead. I had my plans. I had my goals. God said, listen to me, would you? Just for now, this day, your daily bread, this need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't think about all those other things. Let me speak. So I want you to join with me in prayer that whatever is kind of out there, the big things that you think that are there, could you join me? And it's taken me so many years 
probably didn't get to the place till I was, you know, maybe in my 50s where I thought, nah, that stuff can wait. This stuff can never wait. So we make it our goal to please the Lord. You can't make that a long-distance goal. You please the Lord or you don't please the Lord by obedience today. Would you stand with me? And we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and praise. Lord, we've come to your table today. It's been a delight, uh, Lord, to, to do your bidding and do your will and read your word. And Lord, we, Jesus, we see over and over again. And obviously, I just gave 10 examples or so where you were interruptible, and it really wasn't an interruption anyway. You, you, that was your main aim. And I pray, Lord, nothing was deterring you from going to the cross. You had the vision toward what your Father wanted you to do. You knew what that was. But the journey to the cross was uh, quite a zigzag. And I pray, Lord, that you would make our lives a little bit more zigzaggy. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit every day. And Lord, just as that circumstance out of Bowling Pitcher, when you put somebody on my heart and mind, and you gave me the opportunity to minister in a significant way to somebody that moment. I pray, God, that you would do that with each one of us every day. And so today, Lord, it's Sunday, and I pray, God, that you would lay upon our heart that which we could do out of obedience to you to demonstrate our love. So just even if it's a situation like the, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan walking by, Lord, allow us to be interrupted from our great plans to do something of significance for you. And we'll give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God's good. Amen? He's good. So why don't you tell somebody that? Greet somebody in the name of the Lord. And uh, like I said, you can shake their hand or if you're a COVID person, do this. Okay? If you... But uh, anyway, God bless you. Give somebody a hug or whatever. And go in peace in the Lord.